Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, it's time to wrap up season previews. Feels good, man. How you doing? You ready? Feels good. Um, we have come to our final team in the ACC, Joey, the Duke Blue Devils. Steve Weissman joining us from the Herald Sun in North Carolina. Steve, what's going on, man? Welcome back. Hey, good to be with you guys, Mike and Joey. It's always fun. And uh, yeah, Duke's bringing up the rear, right? Just like the standings last year, I guess. That's the way we're going to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna try not to, to make hot that start. Joke. Uh, yeah, I was gonna try not to make that joke, but you know. Well, you know, <laughs> it's a well, tough year for everybody. <laughs> it is. It is. Well, well, Steve, as always, it's a, it's an absolute pleasure having you on because I, I mean I know that Duke's football program doesn't always get a ton of media coverage, but you know, of those who do cover it, you do a pretty remarkable job. Um, so it's always a pleasure having you on and, and someone who's knowledgeable and able to talk about this program to the depth that you are. So thank you again for your time here today. Um, we, we do look at Duke's 2021 season, but kind of wanted to start here with where we start with a lot of these programs, looking at the coaching situation and, uh, and the staff and the current regime. And Steve, we've asked you this question in the past, but David Cutcliffe now enters season 14 at the helm of the Duke Blue Devils. And I, I think pretty decidedly has had one of the most successful tenures in Duke football history and likely the most successful in the last half century since Wallace Wade. And yet... I think we're also starting to get a couple of questions knowing that, you know, he's going to turn 67 years old here in a few weeks. Uh, the, the success in the last couple of years has been a little, a little bit fleeting. We'll say, um, I, I mean, how much longer do you see this going on with, with Cutcliffe at Duke or, or is this something that they're probably going to move on sooner than later? Yeah. Well, first, Joey, I want to say thanks for that kind introduction. Uh, we, I, I've been covering Duke football since the 2010 season. So, I've seen a lot of um, ups and downs and everything, so I, I do appreciate you, your kind introduction. Um, Cutcliffe is uh, he's still in pretty good shape. I mean, I remember at the end of last year, I, I called Kevin White and to say, hey, you know, what's going on? You know, football had a horrible year. Um, you know, just what are your main thoughts? And he said, David Cutcliffe has more job security than I do. And um, so that told me kind of where – the school, what the school thinks to cut, like they know it was a, just a tough year. Now I will have to add that Kevin White is now retiring as the AD <laughs> and uh, Nina King is taking over uh, right now. So uh, who was on the staff already and she's worked with cut the whole time he's been here. So um, I, the feeling is the same as far as the administration, but really, um, you know, David Cutcliffe has brought this program from like the depths of division one football when he took over to being, you know, a bowl game six out of seven years and all that stuff, right? And then the last two years, they really have regressed. They went five and seven. They struggled with turnovers last year. They did it again last year. Um, we could talk about turnovers. If I mentioned every one, we'd use up all of our time. So I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 39 turnovers in 11 games last year. Uh, but Cutcliffe, 
has the support of the university. He's he's energized. I've talked to him a lot this this fall and this over the summer. Um, they know that last year wasn't acceptable, and they're confident in in what they do and what their plan is that that they can get this thing turned around again and be back in contention for a bowl game this year. That's going to be quite a leap from last year's performance. So let's just say that right now. But that's their belief. They fully believe in what they're doing, and uh, so I don't see any any sign of him, you know, slowing down in any way, or I know he's recruiting like crazy for the class of 2022. They've got a pretty good class coming in. Um, so um, yeah, that's, that's where they stand right now with the coaches. Steve, around this time last year, we were talking about the uh, incoming quarterback, Chase Bryce from Clemson and, you know, Duke really since, Daniel Jones left, you know, Quentin Harris, it was real up and down. So we were thinking, okay, well, Chase Price is in. This will be better. He's coming from a proven program at Clemson. And not only did you think that, Steve, but I thought that and Joey thought that. Like Mm -hmm. all three of us were sitting on this podcast saying, this makes sense. He's coming from a really good program at Clemson. Seems like a talented enough quarterback. We saw what he did in that Syracuse game at Clemson leading him back. We're like, all right, this kid can play a little bit. Yeah. And so he shows up last year and then what happened? What went wrong? I mean, it seemed like every game I watched of Chase Bryce, I'm like, this guy can't stop turning the football over. Yeah, he you know, he kept throwing to the guys in their own jersey all the time, trying to force things. You know, um, from talking to the staff this this fall this summer and this fall, because uh, we weren't around them last year, right? I wasn't at games, I wasn't at pra- at the practice like I usually am. Um Chase really Never got obviously a hold of the playbook like he needed to. He never the the the, the fractured off season because of the pandemic really impacted him in ways that that I, we didn't anticipate. I, none of us did, and we maybe we should have looking back on it. But you know, I just believe that that Cutcliffe could could get a quarterback ready for that situation, and Bryce had the background where he'd be able to absorb it. And he didn't get you know he had to finish up at Clemson, didn't show up to Durham until. Um, July and August, you know, late July is when he started, you know, be on campus and he never got to work with the guys off the field like he normally do because they were all quarantined and living in a hotel. And it just never, it never clicked. And sadly, you know, that's, uh, it, it was just, you know, from an offensive standpoint, like a disaster, right? You can't have 39 turnovers in 11 games. So, um, that's, that's where it was. And it just, uh, he never, never got the chemistry going he needed with the team. Well, Steve, of course, Chase transfers out and goes to App State off the top of my head, if that's correct. Yes. Um, and so coming in this year is going to be Gunnar Holmberg, a uh, guy who's been with the program a couple of years. I, I, I'm assuming he's the presumed starter uh, coming yes. out of camp here. Okay. Yes, he is. And, and he's a guy I know that the coaching staff recruited a couple of years ago, has been grooming him a little bit. Tell us a little bit about what they're, they're thinking about him or how they're expecting him to perform coming into this year. Right. I mean, they, they believe they're in far better position with him than they have been either Quentin Harris or, or Chase Bryce last year. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. Gunner. I know he's not taking a, you know, he hadn't started a game. He's the only right. guy in the ACC coming back. Hadn't started a game. Right. But if you think about it, he played in the independence bowl in 2018 in the fourth quarter, which was the last game Daniel Jones played for Duke. Right. So, Gunner came in um, as a mid-year transfer, mid-year enrollee that year. So he spent all of spring ball with Daniel and then the season behind him. He was all set to get some playing time in 2019 along with Quentin Harris. 
and he hurt his knee and missed the whole season. So that kind of wiped that out. That that's what kind of led to Chase Bryce even coming coming to Duke because Gunner wasn't ready to play after missing a whole year with the injury. They didn't feel like he was you know he prepare him to play. So he played last year behind Gunner some and got some experience. Now he turned the ball over some too, right? I mean, let's face it, he did he fumbled you know, had some fumbles and interceptions and. Wasn't great for him either. wasn't as bad as Chase, but it wasn't wasn't good. It wasn't like he came out there and showed, "Hey, I'm the guy. You got to bench this Bryce guy. I'm ready to go." So there is some question marks about him. But the fact that this is his fourth year in the program, that he's he's played has some game experience, uh, that he knows everybody. Uh, he's you know in entrenched in the offense and the system. Uh, he's he's a better runner than Chase Bryce was. So I think they can, you know, get some some of the running game going with the quarterback. Daniel Jones did a little bit of that, if you remember. He was a pretty good runner. Uh, never know for blazing speed, but he could take off. He had a couple hundred-yard rushing games uh, at Duke. So um, that's what they think of Gunner. And uh, he's confident. Everybody's confident in him when I've been around. And, and that's the hope is that he can you know, kind of step back in and get him back to where uh, it was a reliable offense that uh, you know they could get up there and put up, you know, 25, 30 points a game and not turn the ball over four or five times. Well, if he gets an ace or a trouble, you can just hand it to Mateo Durant because, I mean, while Duke didn't play very well last year, Durant was awesome. Um, what are the expectations for him? I mean, I, I look at every, I mean, I'm looking at every watch list and it's like he's he's on every watch list. He's consistently named one of the top five running backs in the conference. I think he's, I think he might be the best running back in the conference personally. Um so what are the expectations for him? I mean, I know there are some moving parts up front with the offensive line. I know that there's skill position talent on the outside at receiver coming back, back which will help Holmberg. But what are the expectations for Mateo Durant behind that kind of revamped offensive line? Yeah, they, they think, you know, the sky's the limit for him. I mean, I think, you know, Duke doesn't usually produce 1,000-yard rushers because they use so many running backs. So they keep fresh guys in all the time. But the – Durant is a different guy back there. They, he's a guy they want to get the ball in his hands as much as they can. And I talked to Jeff Ferris, the new offensive coordinator, play caller about that this summer. And he said, yeah, you know, we, we got to, Mateo's got to be heavily involved in what we're doing. So he's a guy that, again, that can, that can, you know, he averaged seven run, seven yards of carry last year, just about in his time and over 800 yards as, as a backup really to Deion Jackson. So I would think, uh, He's going to be a guy they're going to count on heavily, and he's a guy Gunner can turn to, like you said. Um, and he's a guy that defenses have to pay attention to, which could open things up on the outside. Duke has to have a running back like that, really, that that somebody has to focus on. Uh, they always switch guys in and out, so that, that could make a big difference for this offense. Well, and, and the other thing that kind of goes with that run game, obviously, is the guys blocking for him. And it was interesting, you know, you were kind of running us through before we started here that basically everybody's back on the offensive line, but very few of them seem to be back in the same spot that they were in before. There's a lot of shuffling back and forth going on. There is. And one of the things is because Jack Woolabaugh, who uh, blew his knee out last year, he was a preseason All-ACC candidate at center, uh, got hurt in practice before Duke even played a game. And that kind of set things in motion down the wrong, down the wrong path. So they had to move people around last year to make up for Jack not being there. Well, Jack back at center. Uh, you have Jacob Monk back at right guard and Maurice McIntyre at left guard. Uh, Casey Holman played some tackle last year. Um, he's also, he can play guard tackle or center. Right now he's the backup center to uh, to Willabaugh and a backup guard of those other two guys. So he'll, he'll be in there quite a bit. But so they have 
there's there's four pretty experienced guys right there in the middle. We can talk about Monk, Holman, McIntyre, and Willibar. Now on the outside, you have uh, Graham Barton, who's a sophomore, and they think, you know, really has NFL potential. He's kind of the guy they look at that this is the guy that can really play at the next level when he gets going. As a true freshman last year, he came in and he ended up playing starting at center at the end of the season because of all the injuries. And that's not what he's decided to do. He's a big guy, 6'6", not really a center. But that shows you the kind of uh, uh, adaptability he has in the talent. He's out there at left guard or left tackle protecting Gunner's blind side. And uh, they should be good there. On the At right tackle, you have John Gillott, who is a former tight end. But again, he's a big guy that they moved to the offensive line. Uh, and they got him going there, and he, he looks like he's going to be you know, a pretty good player. So, you know, there, there's concern on the edges whenever you have new starters, right? But you, with, with Barton, you think he got a pretty good amount of talent, and it's just a matter of if he can, you know, uh, play to a high level early in his career. Jake Bobo's back at receiver. That's, you know, having somewhat of a rapport with Gunnar Holmberg, I'm sure will help. I know Bobo's been with the program for a few years. I mean, having him back is certainly going to help. Clearly, he's he's got the best hands of anybody on the team. Um, I saw him make a couple of one-handed catches in a scrimmage a couple weeks ago, and kind of in traffic, one of you put the ball in and sticks. I mean, he's always had that ability. So he's going to be, you know, Noah Gray. We'll get to tight ends in a minute, but Noah Gray was always the the outlet. You know, you can look for him in, in trouble spots, and um, I think Bobo can kind of become that guy this year. Um, uh, safety valve kind of thing, you know, Gunner gets in trouble. It's good to Bobo. And um, so I, I expect big things from him. And then they also have two other returning starters there in Jalen Calhoun and Eli Pankle. So that's a position where they have uh, depth and they have experience. Uh, and so uh, th- that they should have a pretty decent passing game this year with those guys. Yeah. I mean, as you mentioned, Noah Gray, 105 catches through his career. He, he's, he's been a pretty consistent theme on this Duke offense the last couple of years. He moves on, so it's a, a little bit of a new look at tight end. Is it, Do you see like a continued emphasis on, on using and leveraging that position, or does it go to more of a, a heavy spread, four-wide kind of look in, in those passing situations? They have the depth where um, they'll go four-wides. They, they like what they have there. Jarrett Garner, Daryl Harding uh, behind, those, behind the three other guys I mentioned. So they will want to get four guys on at, at some point, but tight end has always been an important part of Duke offense. Um, so, uh, uh, Jake Marweedy is in line to be the starter there. He's a redshirt senior. He's played, you know, beside and along behind Noah Gray for the last three years. So, um, he would have played earlier in his career, but Noah Gray was just so good. And he's showing that now with the, with the Chiefs. You're getting great, um, reports on him out of training camp with the Chiefs. So, uh, I would expect Jake Marweedy to be in there and be, be, a, be a part of this offense too, in, in a big way defensively let's talk about the defensive line because this is where the most shoveling uh the most shuffling not shoveling the most shuffling is going to take place uh big team is gone to the nfl a lot of guys have transferred out you got new faces at new positions just break down the defensive line from a a personnel standpoint and be the level of comfort that david cutcliffe has in his defense up front considering all the new names that are going to be kind of up there um, in the front seven. Yeah, we're we'll running that real quick, the, the, the departures, because that, we have to talk about that, because Vic DiMichaji and, um, and Chris Rumpf were both drafted. Rumpf by the Chargers, DiMichaji by the Cardinals. So the fact they had two guys drafted was, was a big deal for Duke's program. That shows you how far the defensive line has come under 
Ben Albert's tutelage since he came here five years ago. He's done a tremendous job increasing the talent and production from that group. Drew Jordan was also a defensive end last year. Uh, he left, transferred to Michigan State to use his super senior year. So uh, uh, Derek Tangelo did the same thing going to Penn State. So that's four guys of experience that, that with a lot of talent that are gone. Ben Fry returns. Uh, he's the only returning starter, but he was at defensive tackle previously. He's bounced back after defensive end, which was his natural position in high school coming into the college football. So I think he's going to be okay there. He's the senior. He's the experienced guy. He's got a wrestling background, so he's, you know, he's good in small spaces and stuff like that. He should be okay. Uh, and then it's a bunch of uh, sophomores, really, retro sophomores and true sophomores. Dwayne Carter at defensive tackle. Christian Rory at defensive tackle. Um, uh, R.J. Aubin uh, out there. Another sophomore that's really made a push in camp has got a Michael Reese. Might keep his name in mind because they think he might be the next great edge rusher. Now, he's young. Again, not much experience. Just playing a little bit last year, but he's shown a lot in camp. So uh, it's time for the next generation to step up and do the, do the work. And in normal circumstances, I mean, you just look at that and go, that's got to be a weakness, right? People are going to run over Duke. Um, they've got some size up there. And again, because Ben Albert has this reputation of being a great defensive line coach, he went, go back to when he was at Boston College, he developed Harold Landry, you know, guys like that in the NFL. So um, it gives you a little bit of hope if you're a Duke fan that, that he can he can get some production out of these young guys, that they're ready to go, that they've got the right proper training. So until they do it, we don't know if they're going to be able to do it, right? But it looks like they've got some depth and some some talent there. One guy I do want to mention real quick is Gary Smith was going to be a starting defensive tackle. He had to have knee surgery a couple weeks into camp. It was just arthroscopic. Um, they think he's going to be back for early in the season, probably the Charlotte game. They're hoping the Charlotte game. So anyway, that's one little thing. That's why Christian Rory kind of moved up the depth chart at defensive tackle. But um, so, but they should have enough guys there to be able to, 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 to get something up. But we'll see how they do in the games. Steve, I think it's interesting you mentioned kind of some of the defensive line development that's gone on there because you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, for the level of like recruiting that Duke typically does relative to the field, I mean, they have punched way above their weight in terms of sending guys to the NFL and, and creating all ACC level players. Um, so so I, I'm, I'm with you on expecting some things, you know, re- regardless of what we see in terms of, st- you know, star counts and all that on the roster. Like you can always bank on Duke having someone developed on the defensive line. Uh, given kind of that track record, like you've mentioned, um, on the on the back end of the defense, they also have a couple of losses. Uh, Marquise Waters transferred to Texas Tech. Michael Carter, I believe we said, went to the NFL. Um, there's some pieces to replace back there as well. Is there concern about their ability to defend the pass and, and prevent explosive plays? Yeah, I mean, especially when you look at the end of last season, uh, they gave up 11 touchdown passes over the last four games, and those those blowout, you know, lopsided losses to Florida State, Miami, and Georgia Tech, and Carolina. It was just a mess. So, uh, yeah, Michael Carter was drafted by the Jets. He's gone. Um, but Josh Blackwell, uh, who's a, a senior cornerback, only played two games last year. Lummy Young, another senior at safety, just played five games last year. So they both had leg injuries that they've returned from. They're in camp. They're doing fine. No setbacks so far. So having those two veterans – that's a pretty big deal for Duke. They really need, you know, those two guys to step up and play like they did previously, if not even better, but it gives them some leadership there. And um, so 
that that's that's a good group. Other than that, um, you know, Leonard Johnson played a lot of cornerback last year. He's back, another experienced guy. Now, he was on the field some at the end of last year when they gave up a lot of big passes, so he's got to be better. But uh, he's somebody again who's played, and um, uh, so we'll see we'll see how that group goes. I mean, again, those two guys returning was a big deal to get that experience back, and uh, and then again you got some. That's like Jalen Alexander at safety uh, who played some last year. He's going to have to play more and do better. Jamarc Woods is a safety who was a transfer from Michigan before last season, and he didn't play a lot last year, but kind of more on special teams. So he's a guy, again, that's played the Big Ten, and uh, uh, maybe he can step in and get some playing time at one of those safety slots to give another experienced guy. Steve, it was such a struggle for Duke last year, you know, going two and nine. I mean, the easy, the easiest thing to point to, I guess, is the turnovers being as bad as they were. Now, some of that's going to be luck related. It's going to come back to the middle. You know, we're, we're going to find an average in there somewhere and they won't turn the ball over like 40 sometimes or whatever it was. But what, what's the big what's in your opinion from last year to this year? I mean, it's going to be a little bit more normal, right? You had a normal fingers crossed, of course, normal offseason, more practice time. Fall camp was definitely more normal than it than it was last year. What do you think is the single most important thing for Duke to focus on just to get out of that two and nine realm? We're not used to seeing that under David Cutcliffe. No, we haven't. It's, it's the worst record they've had since he took over the program, right? They went three and nine a couple of years in a row and then turned it around. So yeah, I mean, this was, you know, he took over a program. They only won like one game the year before. Right. So he's kind of back to where he was then a little bit, but um, you know, it's, we could again talk about the turnovers, right? If they just cut the turnovers in half, um, that gets them, you know, only turnover one or once or twice a game instead of four times. That's a that's a huge difference. And you have to think, like you said, they're going to there's a regression to the mean here, right? I mean, uh, turnover four times a game is just you know it's it's, it's not something that's going to happen really. again. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. and like the second they were, they were number one in, the, in Division One in turnovers. Uh, second place team had like twenty five or twenty four, right? So they almost had. I mean, twice as many, right? So it's just crazy. So uh, that aside, let's let's talk about something else. I think they can. The, the running game is a big key. If they can, you know, use Mateo Durant to his full ability, and Gunnar Holbrook can run a little bit too, and then they have the short pass at the end they normally do, and I think they have a deep ball game with him as well. But the running game, you know, eats up clock, keeps their team off the field. You know, a lot of those problems on defense came back to the turnovers last year, right? And so um, they can't be uh, – if they don't do that again, then that will keep the defense and put them in better positions. So I think um, I'm going to count on the, the offensive line needs to play well, open up the holes for Mateo Durant, and he needs to be able to run as much as they can get in to run to, to keep, uh, keep their team off the field. Well, and one of the things that we talked to Mark Ennis about on the Louisville preview was how – some of those turnovers also get a little bit more impactful depending on where they happen on the field. You know, if you turn the ball way you know, over, way over in your end of the field or way in the, the scoring end of the field, it's like, you know, you're either it, at least giving the other team easy points or completely killing, you know, the, the almost sure points that you had on the board, you know? And so I feel like that was something that, that kind of trailed Duke and, and caused them some pretty big issues throughout last year too. And of, of course, more of those happen when you have 39 of them on the year. <laughs> Yeah, no question about it. I mean, the, the defense was put in some terrible positions when, you know, Duke would foam the ball, you know, on its own 20 or on 25, and it's just a quick turnaround. 
that's hard to stop. So, yeah, uh, it, that's the number one thing. Obviously, they've all been talking about it. Every time we have an interview session with guys, we ask them about ball security. Are you holding the ball? How are they keeping each other? How, how are you working on it? You know, and the guys say the players have to hold each other accountable. If a, if a freshman sees a senior lollygagging with the ball and you know being loose with it, call them out. That's what they have to do. And so it's all good talking about it in, in spring ball and in preseason, but once they get in the games, that's where we're going to see it. Taking a look at the schedule here, Steve. So the one of the first things that stood out to me, and this is – I don't think I've really ever seen anything like this, and maybe I've just missed it in past years. Duke doesn't leave the state of North Carolina till the seventh game of the year. They're killing my frequent flyer account. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's, just, it's crazy right. to me. Yeah. Uh, that's the way it works out. Every other year, like Duke's conference road games are Virginia, Virginia Tech, Carolina, and Wake. And then their non-conference game this year is Charlotte. So road game. So, yeah. Um, but it sets them up. If they want to you know, flush last year behind them and get off to a good start and get some good vibes going, they've got a real opportunity because – you know, uh, going on the road for an opener is never fun, but they're playing a Charlotte team that they beat last year, 53 to 19, even as bad as Duke was, like, you know, the worst Duke team in 15 years still beat Charlotte pretty handily. So not that they should be confident going into that game, but they, they you look at it as one they should win. They should get off to a good start there. Then they play NCA&T at home, and then they have Northwestern and Kansas coming in. And then the only one of those four they'll be – not favored and it's probably Northwestern just looking at it right now. Um, and so you can go up to maybe a three and one start before you enter ACC play. And that gets you halfway to a bowl. You already have more wins than last year. Now that's if this all works out, but it's set up to where they can do it. And, um, you know, they've had a pretty good series with Northwestern. It's not been lopsided. It's been pretty, pretty even. They've kind of split those games recently. So that'll be, that'll be a great test. The funny thing about Kansas is, and I was on a, a talk show in, in Lawrence last month, Kansas people look at that game as, hey, that's one we can get, <laughs> right? <laughs> and Never good. Course, Never good. Yeah. And Kansas is, you know, the worst Power 5 program in the country. I don't the jokes question. write themselves. Yeah. Yes. So that's where we're Duke's saying, hey, you know, this, we got to get this one. And, and that's the one game where Kansas is going, we can, if we're going to be 1-11, and 11, we can get that game. Maybe. So and we'll see how that game turns out. But I think, I think it sets up Duke to get off to a pretty good start. That Northwestern spot is very interesting to me because you're right that Northwestern again they they what won the the Big Ten West I guess it would have been last year um, yeah. very very solid consistent program that Pat Fitzgerald has built and yet they they have to replace a lot of what was not that good of an offense so I mean scoring 24 points might win you that game but <laughs> who's to say again that that defense is pretty good so that could be kind of tough um, yeah. It is interesting to me. I, I didn't even realize this until you pointed it out that probably the farthest that Duke is going to travel on a road trip is Charlottesville. Yes. Like, yeah. Wow. That's that, that just, that's, you're right. I mean, <laughs> sorry for the frequent flyer mile. My goodness. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll, we'll make up for it in basketball, maybe. How about that? But yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it's, it, again, it sets up well for them to, to have a pretty good year. And, uh, uh, Schedule wise, you know, we'll see if they can pull it off. But um, they have Louisville at home on a Thursday night late in the year. They have the last game of the year is against Miami. And as we as we know about Miami, you never know what team you're going to get on the last game of the year. Like if they're in contention for 
a big bowl game or a division championship, they're going to be fired up, right? But as we saw two years ago, when Duke went five and seven, the last game of the year, they beat Miami. And Miami was going to a bowl game there. I think they were six and six or seven and five. Those guys weren't interested in being there. They just wanted to get the game over with and go to their bowl game. So that's the way schedules work out. We'll see how how that goes. But, you know, the fourth, fifth game of the year at Carolina, you know, that's the one that, you know, Duke's going to be a heavy underdog. We know what happened last year. We know how good Carolina is this year. That's the first ACC game. But they need to build up that momentum in in September to be able to go into that game with, with, you know, at least some some hope or that they can, you know, pull up an upset. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't think any of us expect Duke to win that game, but North no. Carolina found a way last year a couple different times to surprise us with kind of laying an egg against inferior competition. So whether that's actually, you know, pulling off the unthinkable in that game or just hanging around longer than you should, I mean, I think going into ACC play, even if Duke hangs around similar to how Wake Forest hung around last year, right, where, right. you know, Wake ultimately loses that game to Carolina, but they were in the game for a while, damn near won the thing. And right. I, I would imagine that the fan base would be pretty happy with the state of the season if Duke is able to not only get off to at least a three and one start with that non conference schedule, but then find a way to hang around at least against North Carolina. I think the outlook would change you know dramatically for the course of the rest of the season. It certainly would. And then, you know, what they've got to do really though, which is more of a realistic possibility is turn it around against Wake Forest because they've had trouble with Wake Forest recently. And when Duke was going to bowl games on the regular, they were beating Wake Forest. That's kind of a swing game for their, for their schedule and their season. So they have the game at Winston on October 30th. And, um, you know, after they, they well, have already played Virginia. They've struggled with Virginia. They struggle with Pitt. Uh, so they need to, you know, I guess that Louisville game, you look at that one, you look at the Wake game. Those are the ones that are going to determine – whether this is going to be, you know, a seven and five team, a six and six team, or three and nine. Steve, as far as a record prediction, do you do you have one at this point? Are you ready to go on the record uh, with that? <laughs> I'm going to go with four and eight. Um, just because, again, those swing games, I don't I don't like the way they've played against Wake lately, and that's they haven't proven they can beat Pitt on a regular basis. Uh, they played Virginia, Virginia Tech pretty well. You know, all things considered, Virginia has their number. Ever since Bronco Hall came to Charlottesville, they have dominated Duke every year. And so they have to go up to Charlottesville this year. I don't see them. I just don't see them get turned around against the Cavaliers. And we know how good Carolina has talked about that. So I guess that means I see them going like one and seven in the conference. Maybe they can beat Louisville. Maybe uh, um, yeah, we'll see how good. Maybe Pitt this year. I don't know. But I'm going to go four and eight. There's a good chance I'll be wrong. I've never been great at predictions, but that's my number right now. Mike? Oh, man. Um, I've been waffling between three and nine and four and eight as well. Um, I think if they start three and one in in the non-conference schedule, I think they get to four um, (laughs) because I have a really hard time seeing Duke go winless in conference play. I, I just, I don't think the Coastal specifically is good enough to just say, oh, yeah, Duke is just not going to win a game when you know, most of your conference schedule is against a division that is all mostly mediocre. Right, or there right. could be more teams that are, that are better than we expect. And if that's the case, maybe Duke does go winless in conference play. But I just, I've been waffling because I'm not sure if Duke starts 
two and two or three and one in the non-conference. And in my opinion, that totally dictates whether or not they go over that three and a half win total that Vegas has set in a lot of the sports books. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with three and nine. Um, four would not surprise me though. And I think anything better than that is just, uh, you know, Holmberg just played better than expected. The defensive line specifically played better than expected. You know, we have a situation where Duke is just really surprising us and, you know, then all of a sudden we're talking about Cutcliffe, I think a little bit differently on, on the outside, you know, um, as far as, okay, he might stick around for another few years, maybe just not like a season or two, like at least the national folks think. I'm kind of with you. I'm with you both. I think four and eight, one and seven in conference. I think they'll get somebody in conference. The thing I keep looking at is those first two out of conference games, like we're, we're, we're kind of penciling those in as wins for Duke, but I feel like either of those is actually a little bit more losable than a lot of people want to give them credit for. Like Charlotte is kind of an up and coming program at the the G5 level. Like they're they're capable of jumping up and getting you. And, and North Carolina A&T, they were in the Celebration Bowl two years ago as the best, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of the best HBCU teams in the country. Now they didn't play at all last year, so they haven't played a football game in almost two full calendar years. So maybe they're really excited or maybe there's a lot of rust there that needs to be you know worked off but either of those is capable but I, I I agree that I think Duke gets those gets the job done there I think they get it done against Kansas and then I think they knock off at least somebody in the ACC um, I do feel like you know something like a five and seven is very much on the table because like you guys are talking about with the state of the coastal division I mean most games, most weeks are, are winnable for most any team. So, right, you know, at that point, you just need the, the coin to come up heads a couple times and, uh, and and you're in good shape. So I'm with you four and eight. And then I, I see upside to five and seven, even again, like liking the coaching staff and, and knowing how capable they are. Um, I, I think that's on the table, but I'll say four and eight as well. Yeah. It, it, either one of those things, if, if they go three and nine, then we're having a real serious conversation here about what's going on with the program. But if they get to four and eight or five and seven, then they're, they're kind of starting to bounce back a little bit. Right. And it also depends upon how that one and seven would go in conference. If they do, if they do that poorly, if it's like the end of last year, then that's, that's not good. But if they're, they're in games, if they're competitive, you know, not getting blown out, Georgia, Texas swing game, I mentioned wake, I mentioned Louisville, Miami, we don't know what they're going to get from them, you know, at the end of the year. So, I mean, there's a there's a path to a bowl game for this team, right? There really there is. Um, but realistically, looking at it right now, I think I agree with both of you guys on, on those numbers. Mike, that's all I got for Steve. Anything else while we got him? I don't think so, Steve. Thanks so much for joining us, man. Hey, it's always good to be with you guys. Let's uh, let's get some football going and get out and see some games in person, huh? Cannot wait. Cannot wait. <laughs> Do you want to tell the people real quick, Steve, where they can go find your stuff? Absolutely. Um, I write for the, the Durham Herald Sun, which is heraldsun.com. And then uh, the Raleigh News and Observer is newsobserver.com. And uh, on Twitter, you can find me at Steve Wiseman NC. My last name is W-I-S-E-M-A-N and then NC uh, for North Carolina, where I'm located. And uh, that's where you can find all of our Duke coverage. Um not just a football team, but some basketball too, as we get ready for kind of a big basketball season in Durham. Well, Steve, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time once again, and uh, always a pleasure having you on. We hope to talk to you again soon, all right? Very good. Thanks, guys. All right, Mike. That was Steve Wiseman. Once again, go find him at the Herald Sun and the News Observer. 
uh, all sorts of great Duke coverage, largely football, but some basketball and, and other things. So go check him out there. We are done with our team previews, our season previews. You want to uh, come back and try to preview the whole whole conference one more time? We're we're ahead of schedule on these two. We are. might add. Yeah, as we do this, like a full ten days before the season actually starts. That's uh, ahead we, of we, schedule for us. We deserve a medal for uh, for this at this point, but. <laughs> Uh, in six years. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, we got here. Finally, we got here. Uh, we are going to come back and we've got a, another, you know, kind of overall season preview. We're going to hit on a couple of things. We got, we're going to take one more look at our win totals. Uh, we're going to, we got a, a little bit of an all ACC team that we're going to throw together. We've got uh, all sorts of good stuff. So keep it tuned here. And then obviously we're going to preview week one. Uh, we got that coming as well. We got to get into actual games here very soon. So keep it tuned here. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel SOS. Together we're at BC Podcast ACC. And once again, go find Steve Wiseman on Twitter at Steve Wiseman NC, all one word. Uh, all sorts of great Duke football and otherwise coverage. Uh, go check him out there. You can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, anywhere you can normally find podcasts. Uh, go hit the follow button, the subscribe button. You know, if, if YouTubers are telling you to do it, please do it for our podcast. Uh, Mike, anywhere else they can find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there. Go check us out on Instagram at BC Podcast ACC, Joey. Please do. Please do. Do it for the gram. For the gram. Mike, that's all I got. Anything else? On to the full season preview. Can't wait. It's almost time. It's the most wonderful time of the year, baby. That's right. Let's do it. All right. Well, we'll come back and do that. And until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, Mr. Steve Wiseman, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.